This Boss Barista episode is brought to you by Ernex. If you've worked in the coffee industry, you probably know Ernex well. You've used their products to clean your equipment. You've attended an event that they've supported. You're probably even using Kefiza at home to clean your pots and pans. One of Ernex's latest advances is a range of environmentally friendly cleaners called BioCaf. BioCaf products are made entirely from plant and mineral-based ingredients and are fully biodegradable. They're available for both commercial and household coffee equipment, so you can use them at the cafe just as easily as you can use them at home. But Ernex is doing more than just making eco-friendly cleaners. They've partnered with people like me and several other coffee professionals to highlight some of the best sustainability efforts in the industry with the BioCaf Sustainability Series. I'm super excited to be part of this initiative and to have another platform to share my thoughts on topics like sustainability. Visit the Ernex website to read my recent piece on Onyx Coffee Labs switch to oat milk in their latest cafe and learn more about BioCaf by visiting www.ernex.com. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Bailey Enberg is a roaster who wants you to embrace past crop coffees. What's a past crop coffee? Coffee is harvested annually, and most coffees are thought to be at their peak within a year of being harvested. A past crop coffee is when you're still hanging on to a coffee from last year as this year's harvest comes in. Most roasters and importers avoid holding on to past crop coffees by making projections. Although predictions can never be perfect, you might be able to make a guess on how much coffee you'll need and consume in a year, especially if that's your job. Perhaps your job is to import hundreds and thousands of these bags of coffee a year. But the COVID-19 pandemic upended expecting buying and consuming patterns, meaning that there's a lot more past crop coffees sitting in warehouses than ever before. However, just because past crop coffees are older doesn't mean they can't be roasted well and still drink deliciously. And yet, for an industry that touts freshness, the term past crop can feel almost taboo. But... Let's ask some questions about past crop coffee. Does green coffee really have to be at the peak of freshness to be enjoyed? Is it sustainable to ignore past crop coffees? And don't roasters have the power to manipulate a coffee to highlight different flavors that maximize the full potential of a past crop coffee? Bailey thinks so. And she has a lot to say about how we talk about past crop coffees. This isn't the first time I've interviewed her. Like some of our guests who also happen to be roasters, I interviewed her for the Matchbook Coffee podcast in 2020. She brings energy and passion to everything she cares about, and this conversation is a dynamic look at how roasters can embrace past crop coffees and why it's essential for our industry to do so. Here's Bailey. Okay, Bailey, I wanted to have you on the show for, I'm going to say three reasons. I could probably think of more as I kept going. But number one, 
you're one of the most dynamic people on audio that I've ever interviewed. <laughs> Number two, I loved interviewing you the last time, which we interviewed you while you were sitting on a motorcycle, which you're not now um, because of the heat wave in Portland. Um, and three, you're a person who, when I think like when we share ideas, like you have such a like, like you're not afraid to share like what you're thinking, which is going to make this interview really exciting. Um, and I'm also I'm also excited and like nervous for our listeners who are, I think are just going to hear like the two of us just go bam, 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 really fast. Uh, so yeah, I was hoping you could introduce yourself for everyone real quickly. Hey everyone, I'm Bailey Ingberg. I have been in coffee 13 years, starting as a barista, and then after seven years, been a roaster. I sit on the leadership council for the Coffee Roasters Guild. I also run She's the Roaster, and I am the U.S. Chapter Social Accountability Coordinator for SCA. When I got the email from you when we were going back and forth on like, let's do this interview, I looked at your email signature and I was like, oh shit, Bailey does a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of hats. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> How'd you get into coffee? Um, it was actually my first job. So uh, it's kind of funny when people talk about how they got into coffee. I, I worked in a drive-thru, which is prominently like a, a Pacific Northwest type of thing. Um, and although we serve specialty coffee, it like nothing about it was measured or um, scientific, precise. Uh, so then from there, I bounced into a cafe, learned some latte art, and found myself a, a coffee roasting job uh, shortly thereafter and never really looked back. Was that something that you were always interested in? Did you find roasting to be something that was compelling to you or did you kind of fall into it? Um, I... I don't know. It was kind of, kind of both, I guess. Um, like, so me at 16 years old, right? Like I have to go get a job. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll be a barista. That sounds like something I can manage with school and everything else. Um, so I do that. And then I had always, I'm close with my dad and he ran a construction company. So like power tools and kind of being hands-on isn't lost on me. So when I start seeing this machine in the corners of certain cafes, it's like, oh, what does that do? <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then as soon as somebody opened a door for me and honestly, it involved a lot of elbows to get that door to open. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine not roasting. So I love that. I love that. That was like kind of almost part of growing up, like touching things and trying to figure out like, how do they work or how does this thing work? What does that thing do? Um, <laughs> I can't say that I am of a similar mindset. So I really love when people share those stories and have those experiences. At what point did you decide like, oh, this is a thing I want to do. Like, this is the part of the coffee industry I want to occupy. I mean, I think so. And it all kind of stems from passion, right? Like we all like drinking coffee. And I mean, that doesn't even need to be an industry specific thing. Um, but as soon as I realized that as a roaster, you're in control. I mean, much as like my favorite parts of being a barista was manipulation of espresso, right? Mm -hmm. And I think as soon as I got into roasting, I realized that I have like a lot more control than I do on an espresso machine with a grinder. Uh, and, and it's almost even better then because it's like, it's, it's so similar to cooking and baking and realistically like barbecuing. Uh, <laughs> so I feel, I feel like I can pull things out, draw things in, taper things. Um, you know, it's, if anyone's a baking aficionado here, uh, it's really in line with baking to me. That's really interesting. I really like that analogy. 
um, being able to like manipulate one thing and be like, oh, how does this work? How does this change this variable? Um, I would imagine it's even in certain ways a little more gratifying than baking because, you know, roasting takes what, like 12 to 16 minutes? Yeah, Yeah, it depends. Depends. Uh, Right now I'm probably 10 to 15 minute batches on a 12 kilo. So killer killer you yeah tell me a little bit about like your career like how did you end up where you are currently wow what a what a large question big, big question <laughs> let's go for it <laughs> I'm like a series of terrible employers uh no, I'm just kidding I mean um, that's, that's the name of the game on this show so it, it kind of is and and I really like that that gets talked about so often now because I mean it it's I've been around 13 years in specialty coffee and a lot of different facets of it. And, and I'll say it's, it needed to get talked about sooner. Um, so thank you for always, you know, running that conversation. Uh, how did I get to where I am? Wow. What a weird question, Ashley. Uh, <laughs> do, do you want me to rephrase it? Yeah, let's rephrase it. Okay. So let's start where you are right now. What is your job currently? Uh, my day job is that I roast, I'm the head roaster at Trailhead Coffee Roasters in Portland, Oregon. What does that entail for you? Are you roasting every day or are you more like making profiles, helping other people roast coffee, sourcing green? Like what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you? Uh, D, all the above, but uh, definitely less. So I'm the only roaster for Trailhead. Um, So I would say it's less helping other people to roast, uh, but I definitely do all of my volunteer work pretty much directly works with helping new roasters kind of get a balance. so yeah, I green buy coffee, I profile, um, I, I run the cuppings, I make the buying decisions. Uh, the only thing I don't think I do is send the check to the invoice. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you were able to do, you're like by process of elimination. It's like, this is the one thing I do not do. Um, <laughs> what was kind of the journey to this point for you? Like, did you, hmm, you're right. That is a weird question. I'm going to rephrase it again. I think it's a good one. I think it's just, it's hard, it's hard to get there. It's hard to, yeah, it's hard to get there, especially because you've been in the industry for so long. So like, I guess like, what were you looking for to get to the point that you're at now? Like maybe we obviously don't have to talk about specific employers or any specific experiences. I want this to be more about like you and what personal fulfillment looked like for you as a roaster. So like, what was like the journey for you from like starting out roasting to getting to the point you are now? Yeah. And I think at, at, from when I started roasting, because that's kind of when everything changed, it became short term goals. And I remember, ironically, I I wanted to do matchbook. That was one of my goals. Right. And it's like I didn't it was before I didn't feel like there was an outlet so I could reach out and say, hey, like I, I'm interested in this. Pick me, pick me. But that was um, I had to do like a short bio for Goodwill, um, like the thrift store has a barista training program, if anyone didn't know. And it's really, it's an awesome program, but they they usually look for mentors. So I was doing my bio for them. And in there, they asked what my goals were. And I was like, oh, I just want to do this like matchbook coffee project thing. Like that's really like my big one right now. <laughs> and it was like, came to fruition two weeks later. Um, I remember so that I- happening. So like when I reached out to Bailey to do matchbook, Bailey was like, that was actually one of my goals that I manifested, which is, which is incredible. Um, and for people who don't know what matchbook coffee is, it's a monthly roasting project. You should check out the interview that we did with Bailey on that episode. Um, because that's also very exciting. So, uh, just wanted to make sure that people knew what matchbook was, but keep going. 
for sure. And so it like short term goals, I think are what I would say like kept me busy because ultimately as if you're a production roaster, it becomes very, this monotonous thing that you just do. Um, I'm not going to say you can do it in your sleep because you probably shouldn't fall asleep by your roaster, but you can definitely go on autopilot and just be fine with punching a clock for a company. So it's kind of those extracurriculars that get you excited about things. Um, also if, for me, I was, I wasn't part of buying decisions early on in my career. Like green buying honestly is, is a new thing for me. Uh, but I was involved in profiling. And, uh, I think when you get a new coffee, that excitement and, if you don't have that excitement anymore, I'm going to urge all roasters listening to like, go find that in some capacity, because if you are at a spot in your career where a new coffee doesn't excite you, there's not much left in roasting, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think getting the opportunities to try things and then, especially under the veil of like, somebody basically just gave you a puppy and they're like, okay, you get to do whatever you want with this. You get to raise it however you want. It's like, that should excite you. Um, so yeah, through that, uh, just, I guess, kept elbowing my way and, and working and here I am. What an analogy. Roasting is like <laughs> getting a puppy. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. <laughs> well, a new copy is, and I mean, I, I hope anyone listening to this is just going to crack up because I, I'm pretty notorious for roasting analogies. Um, there's a fateful Coffee Roasters Guild retreat and I say fateful because I was, I was inebriated. I was really, really inebriated. And I make this analogy about roasting where I'm like, how I explain it to people that don't even understand that coffee can be roasted. Like they think it grows brown. Sure. Um, I'm like, okay, no, I roast it. And they're like, oh yeah, barista. I'm like, mm, okay, yes, but no, I do this other thing to it. And I was like, it's like cooking a frozen pizza. <laughs> I, it's so bad. It's like, so I'm like, you could like put your oven at like 200 degrees Fahrenheit and like cook it for like an hour, or you could go like 500 degrees Fahrenheit and cook it for like two minutes, but you just like want to find that ratio. Um, yeah, I don't know that I ever stop replaying that in my head. Uh, That's actually a surprisingly good analogy now that I think about it. Cause you don't want to eat a pizza that you roast at 200 degrees. Cause it's going to be baked, which I, that's right right like that's how you bake coffee um yeah yeah slow and low slow and mm -hmm. low but then you also don't want to like a a coffee that you just like burn the shit out of because like the top might be super brown but then like the inside's still frozen I'm, again sure. going with the pizza analogy um that's actually a really good one i think you should i don't know i would like to see you teach like a like a like one of those like master classes like those things <laughs> that you get like facebook ads for i'd love to see you do one of those and just start with like roasting. it's like roasting <laughs> coffee is like cooking a frozen pizza and then like the music comes in and oh that would that would be delightful it's like a frozen pizza analogy. I've done the marshmallow one. Um, anytime I go to like a barbecue, I try not to eyeball the grill the whole time. But I mean, when you look at a Weber grill, you basically have a heat source, you have airflow, and then you, you actually have kind of two airflows. You have like an environmental up top and then down low, you have like the airflow so you can adjust your coal. Um, so yeah, I try not to eyeball grills all the time and people using them, but it, it, they're little roasters. They just don't. They don't have a drum. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, let's talk a little bit about roasting now during during these times, um, which I feel is such a, like a cliche way to to refer to it. But COVID nineteen has certainly affected coffee 
kind of on all levels. And I think it's easy to see it on the consumer and retail level. We'll see coffee shops close or people get laid off. Um, But what I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is how COVID-19 has affected green coffee and roasting. So I was wondering if you could maybe give a little bit of an overview of like what those first couple of months were like for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, and currently like just the ports alone are a nightmare. I mean, it's it's kind of been a whole domino effect, I think, on the green sector of things. Uh, and I'm certainly not a green coffee importer, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But yeah, when COVID hit for Trailhead, it was a lot of product not being able to get moved. Um, and, you know, I think every company, you know, did their best effort to find a pivot or a way uh, to make it better or easier or just to survive. Um, but I think a lot of the conversations around sourcing, uh, they're just chaotic right now. Like my email inbox with green importers, no one's having a good time. Uh, so I started buying a lot of past crap, which is a super sensitive subject for some reason. Uh, just speaking out of the U S for roasters, I'm not sure how any other part of the world deals with past crap, but, uh, we kind of have a tendency to put our noses up at past crap. And I'm just not really sure why. Uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about what that means, what past crop means, and maybe talk a little bit about like, m- maybe there's no like clear definition on this, but what would be like an ideal window for green coffee, um, just for people who who haven't bought coffee or maybe don't deal with green coffee. For sure. And, and I'm probably not the best person to ask, but um, someday we'll maybe talk to an importer that is. Uh, so coffee is harvested seasonally, right? Uh, different countries have different months, uh, and some countries have multiple seasons, so they can get two harvests in one year. Um, those, you know, they get packaged, shipped, go to the mill, all the things, and then they come to us. By the time that they come, I say us, the U.S., by the time they come to the U.S. at whatever port, they already have some age on them, obviously, from when they're harvested. But we have kind of a standard that we call fresh crop and past crop. Um, There's also current crop, but we'll not get there. Um, Or future crop, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So when it hits the when it hits the port, basically when we say past crop, it refers to you're still holding onto a coffee from Colombia while Colombian coffees are coming in. So your bag is now deemed a past crop bag because there's a fresh crop already arriving. The designation past crop and fresh crop doesn't necessarily have anything to do with any sort of flavor component. It's all, it seems to be a timing designation. Yeah. And, and there, I mean, there's science, right? And so the hard science is that yes, um, old coffee will have, uh, so volatile acids, I guess, are the kind of the big ones. So, wow. How to not get too deep on this. I mean, <laughs> so go deep. I have, I roasters we manipulate volatile compounds, right? And those are the things that we can apply heat to, take heat off of, um, air, all those things. It's how you roast and which volatile compounds you can change, right? Mm -hmm. So volatile acids seem to be the big one with past crop is that the coffee acidity is the thing that's getting muted and tamed and less prevalent in past crop. Okay, that makes sense. So when we're talking about components in a coffee like a malic flavor or like citric acid or something like that that would be maybe more present in a fresh crop coffee fresh crop coffee say that five (laughs) times fast um but those components would perhaps be more prevalent in those fresh crop coffees versus a past crop coffee that's right 
Absolutely. Okay. And those are things that as a roaster, you think about when you're applying heat to coffee, because those are the components that you're manipulating. Yes. So what does roasting a past crop coffee look like for you? See, and that's the thing. So like, you don't know what you're losing with past crop. Like you don't have some kind of a temperature gauge or like acidity reader gauge on a bag of coffee. So it's all kind of for speculation outside of that. Um, And there's so many variables like, how is your coffee packaged? Is there grain pro? Is it vacuum sealed? Like, you know, transportation, uh, like temperatures, was it ever exposed? Like, has it hit sunlight? And you're right, there's so many factors to that, that there is no hard metric on how fast your coffee is quote unquote decaying. Okay. Um, so that's kind of why I think past crop is almost like an eye roll because we all assume that it's just becoming this terrible thing in, in our warehouses. And like, it likely isn't. But for whatever reason, I think the U.S. has this connotation with past crop where they're like, oh, gosh, no, old coffee it will never. And I just don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, especially now. I have to imagine that you've really had to think about that, right? Right. And and it's I mean, as far as like sustainability with coffee goes, we all we all, I hope, care about farmers and we all talk about caring about farmers. But it's frankly, if there's coffee on the ground, why are we not buying it up before we produce more? And I think that that's incredibly wasteful. And I think I'm not necessarily pitching for everybody to go buy some past crop right now, but it usually is cheaper. And why would you waste it? I'm sure there's a menu offering where you can plug that in, whether it's your cold brew or um, buying some. So backtracking on when we talked about volatile acids, right? So like if acids are the thing that are escaping from past crop, mm-hmm. why don't we focus on sweetness? I don't know. Why don't we? I don't know. <laughs> right. So I've been a huge fan of buying past crop, especially through 2020 and 2021. Um, because I, I, and honestly, no consumer has complained. It's honestly, it tastes pretty much the same to me. I would never offer past crop as like a single origin, like bright, fresh, look at this thing, but it's in my blends. And I think that that's really important to continue doing. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about sweetness, because I think that you're right. Like we, we talk a lot about acidity because I mean, that's what makes coffee super special, but sweetness still seems to be a component of coffee, regardless of its freshness. And we're still manipulating coffee to have these Maillard reactions to turn from grain to brown and develop these caramelization flavors. So like, how does dealing with a past crop coffee make you think about like bringing out other flavors in that coffee for sure yeah I think um I'm trying to not do this from like a hard roasting standpoint because it's like that's there would have to be some years of education here before I just start rattling off but I think it's so it's less about if you have a coffee let's call it a Colombian and you have like a strawberry note and a milk chocolate note and you're buying past crop, you need to understand that that strawberry note might still be there, but it won't be as prevalent because you have past crop. Mm -hmm. So you should be focusing your time and energy on that milk chocolate and how to make that do better. And honestly, I mean, acidity mostly deals. I'm not going to say you can have a, you can't have a dark roasted acidic coffee, but if we're talking about sweetness, those are always more in the sugar browning side of things and less on an acidic fruit pop side of things so they will tend to be like more medium dark roasts. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. Totally. That makes sense. Something else that you mentioned earlier too was that there's really like no hard and fast science to how we evaluate a fresh crop versus past crop. Like the designation that we made earlier was mostly based on a timing issue and not necessarily like after six months, all the acidity is gone from this coffee. And you highlighted all the different points in which coffee freshness can be preserved. The way that you package a coffee, the way that a coffee is shipped, the way that a coffee is stored. And I wonder, as COVID-19 has kind of affected green coffee habits, like maybe we're not buying as much green coffee anymore because coffee shops are closed, people are not consuming as much. Have you seen conversations shift to being more efficient on that end? So like, have you seen people kind of pivot their the way that they store coffee, like, have you seen people be like, oh, like, we're going to have all this excess green coffee, because that's a conversation that I've heard people talk about, that where there's more green coffee just like kind of sitting in storage, because there's not as many people consuming it. And coffee depends on like a futures market, right? Like, you buy coffee like six months ahead, or you buy coffee with predictions. Okay, right. So are you are we talking about storage in like a roasting space or storage in like a green warehouse? Um, either one, I think. I think whatever you feel most like adept to talk about. I just want to know if there are conversations even happening around that. Around green coffee storage. Yeah, like the <laughs> idea that like, oh, like we're going to have a lot more green coffee now because just consumer habits are different. So like, what does that mean for us? Right. And I think, I think as far as green storage is concerned, it's kind of a coin toss because it's like as a roaster, especially a small roaster, you have storage fees, um, attached to your green coffee if it sits in a green warehouse. So you don't want to waste money just having it sit there. Although those warehouses are temperature controlled and they are, you know, as far as preserving coffee, they're, they're literally designed for that. (laughs) So, uh, but nobody wants to pay those fees to just have your coffee sit. So I think a lot of smaller companies are avoiding that cost and bringing it in house. But at the same time, a lot of those companies don't have space. So it, I mean, it, it's really just, I think green coffee right now is chaotic. Right. (laughs) I think, and no one has an idea of when, when what's coming, uh, and, and what they can afford to sell it for because a lot of companies are struggling. So these finer coffees that we offered and we used to love using in competition, well, competition hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think we'll, we'll end up seeing the effects of 2020 much later from now, but this is a good taste of it. That's interesting because like, like we were saying, coffee's bought on kind of like a future, like on future predictions that you know what 2023 will look like in terms of your consumer habits that you know what your needs will be for the next year because you know coffee comes from a far like coffee comes from a different place at least in the U.S. like we don't grow it here and then we have to like think about the months it takes to go from a coffee being harvested to a coffee showing up in our warehouses in our coffee shops um so it's really interesting to think about, like, the pandemic will have effects on the coffee industry for years to come. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, circling back to the past crop thing, you're right. Like, we don't have a metric. Uh, I'm, uh, there are so many studies, I'm sure of it, of where they, they test these scientists, not roasters, test these things and can give you hard metrics. But I, I don't think it's an across the board thing. And I just keep thinking about... Um, You know, I was like one of those pandemic people that like bought a bulk bag of rice Mm -hmm. and it's like still in my cabinet right now, maybe like two pounds gone of the five. 
And I'm like, if this were coffee, this would be almost two year old past crop at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I'm still eating that rice. It tastes totally like rice. It's fine. Like it's great rice. Um, So I guess I just ask myself those questions as like a roaster where I'm like, I believe that something is, is like the coffee is degrading in some way. Like I know that I know it's not bad though. And I just, I am hard pressed to believe that I can't do something with it. Mm-hmm. And I think if we continue to look for like these nice coffees, these beautiful 90 point coffees, while there's still, you know, 84 point coffees like left on the ground, it's just, I don't think that this industry can sustain. Something that you mentioned too, using both your perception of the rice that you've been eating for the last two years, but also talking about consumers, I think you kind of said this offhandedly, but like consumers aren't necessarily noticing a difference or if they're noticing a difference, it might actually be for the better. Like we might actually be making coffee that's more accessible, especially if we're focusing on sweetness, which is a way easier flavor note to perceive than acidity, which takes a little bit more explaining a little more time. Um, And so I wonder like, yeah, like since you guys are a roaster that like, you know, you serve retail coffee, like have you like what has been the attitude of your consumers? Have people noticed that coffee is different or tastes different at all? Or so I actually very intentionally uh, I it was actually the coffee that I used right after my matchbook coffee project. And it was it's a natural Columbia Katura and it's the farmer's name is Rodrigo. And that's what we've named it at Trailhead. Uh, it tasted in the cafe what, 2020, like those flash frozen strawberries that you would get inside of cereal. Mm -hmm. Like it was a very specific thing to me. And then I bought that same coffee past crop this year, same exact coffee. And it's much more like juicy grapefruit, like grapefruit juice, literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wouldn't say one better than the other. Right. They don't taste vastly different. I mean, they don't taste vastly different the way that I can tell it's the same coffee, but they have two different things going for them. And I, it would just be a mood dependent thing for me. Like I couldn't pick one. Right. But like when we serve this to customers, like it seems like we don't lean into that experience enough that like these are different and like, let's celebrate that versus like these are different. So we have to sell it at a different price point or this was past crop. So it's not as good. So we have to like put it in a blender or something like that. It seems like there's an opportunity for us to acknowledge how the pandemic or even just like buying past crop coffee can change a tasting experience and make that a really positive and interesting thing to present to consumers. Uh, Right. I wish that we talked about it more. I wish, I wish that I could slap past crop on a label and not feel shame about that as a roaster or not feel like my peers are thinking less of me. Or I wish that we could just be very transparent about using all that we have and having that not have a negative connotation. Where do you think that negative connotation comes from? I know that's kind of a broad question, but I even thinking about the word past crop, like that sounds, yeah, that sounds icky. That sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think like, I, I don't, I don't know. And maybe, maybe it's all made up in my head. Like maybe I'm just like, oh, it's probably not that my peers are thinking like, ew, past crop, but it's, it's true. Like it doesn't get ordered very often most importers have a past crop sitting in their warehouse, somebody backed out of a contract, something like that. But I don't know. I don't know why we're not more like forward facing about it. 
I think we ignore, like, I feel like we use the wine analogy in, like, the worst possible times. But it feels like wine could actually serve us in this instance. Like, you age wine. Like, you don't necessarily always want the freshest wine. Like, that would taste, like, weird and funky. Maybe for some wines you do. Sometimes sometimes you don't. So I wonder (laughs) if there's, like, a way for us to borrow from that world to be, like, this was harvested in 2018 or like kind of the way that George Howell does it um, where, you know, he has like a 2018, like Mamudo Kenya. Um, and then he can compare it to like the 2019. Um, but that seems like a lot of intentionality as well. That maybe, I don't know. I don't know if our industry is ready for. Right. And I think I, that, I mean, that's the worst part about it is that we don't know if we're ready and, Oh, that's where I was getting at. Got it. Wow. What a shift. Uh, my same qualm that I feel about past crop is also around the freshness parameter mm-hmm. that we all put on coffee. Like I, I can't tell you what an eye roll I think companies stressing their freshness of their coffee is like this whole idea of a fresh roasted coffee stemmed from like what feels like a Pete's and Starbucks shift in the nineties. So like Pete's and Starbucks had all these young employees that were working for them that obviously fell in love with coffee on a small scale because Pete's and Starbucks weren't these mega corporations back then. Um, and so then they branched off and they, then they want to open up their own shops. And with that, they're like, well, so Pete's and Starbucks, we would roast it and sit around for like six months before it hit a, a grocery store. We're going to make a coffee roaster where it's like, two weeks. And I feel like every year since then, everyone keeps trying to push that freshness, like close, like, oh yeah, your coffee's fresh. Mine's only four days off roast. You know what I mean? And, and we pull coffee out of grocery stores and we don't allow our consumer to buy them when arguably I would say that some of my coffees don't taste as good as they would until day eight. Right. So it's, the idea of past crop, like, oh, it's old, eye roll, whatever. It's kind of as ridiculous to me as like, oh, your coffee's 10 days fresh. <laughs> That's old. Like, I just think everyone needs to be a lot more relaxed about time of coffee. And, and when we're agreeing is too late or too soon to drink something, like obviously let your coffee off gas. But I just don't think there's anything wrong with a 10 day old roasted coffee. And I just don't think I ever will unless it's a French roast and it's obviously sitting in its own oils. Like we should just be consuming these things. Right. Especially in the the niche that we occupy, like in the specialty market, like no one's roasting coffee that dark. So you don't have to really consider coffee going rancid. Like unless, like you said, like it's super oily and that's what causes coffee to go rancid quickly. Um, it seems like, and as you pointed this out, like the the idea of freshness is almost like a marketing tool that we haven't utilized correctly. Right. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Um, I just did an espresso machine review for um from a, for a website, and one of the things I was really weary about, I would buy these machines, and they'd be like 17, 18 bars of pressure, and I'm like, that is unnecessary. But it's the <laughs> idea that like more is better. And the idea that fresh is better, like it's just these like signifiers of quality that we don't know how to present correctly. So we sell it in the most straightforward way as possible. So then we're like, oh, people think fresh is good. Then let's sell this as like the freshest coffee, even though that might not actually be a good quantifier of quality. Right. Absolutely not. And it's it. I think that 
that one upping thing. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most toxic things I see as a roaster all the time. It's, um, you know, I, I don't define a good roaster by the people that work at these very, I mean, they're talented. I'm definitely not saying, but I define a good roaster as somebody that can take like an 83 or an 84 coffee and make me think I'm drinking an 86, not somebody that's just getting access to 88, 89, 90 point coffees. And I just don't think a dollar mark equates to talent. I think good roasters are people that can take something moderate, average, and make it taste spectacular. And it seems like also working, yeah, working with what you have in front of you. So like if you have a past crop coffee that maybe doesn't have as much acidity, like what does that mean? Like how do you approach that coffee and how do you adjust the way that you would roast that coffee to accommodate for what's in front of you? Right. And, and yeah, every coffee is a first date, you know, what works with one, you could get the same coffee, the same farm, the same farm at the same altitude, you could do all the things right. And they still won't roast exactly the same. So I think a lot of the weight that we put on metrics, as far as like moisture content and water activity, those are great things to measure. And, you know, no data is bad data kind of a thing. But I just don't think depending on it, and these arbitrary rules that we have, it's like, you'd really just have to try it. <laughs> right. How would you market a past crop coffee differently? Like what's your dream to see like on a retail shelf? Cause I'm imagining like you having two coffees. One is from this year. One is from last year. And they're somehow marketed as like a special experience because they are like, how exciting would it be to be able to taste two different coffee, t- the same coffee from, from past years? Um, and I'm wondering, like, what would that look like on the shelf for you? Or how would you market that differently? I'm like, seriously, two people in one brain. Uh, so part, <laughs> of me is, part of me is all chaos and would want to be like, fresh crop, past crop, like the good shit, the bad shit. Um, and just be really dramatic about it and vulgar and crass in the way that I'm trying to make fun of my own consumers by being like, look, they're both good. Like, but you know, one's old and you still went for it. Honestly, I wouldn't do it that way. That's just my own little brain. Um, (laughs) The way I would probably go about it is, I mean, if you focus on sustainability and talking about, you know, using, using what you have before you have to buy a new thing, or, you know, if you're, your farmers maybe haven't collected money on the past crop, they may still be waiting for that. So it's like, if you do care about your farmers and you do care about the progression of this industry, you would care about somebody being like, you know, this is the last five bags of a farmer's crop. And now this farmer has sold 100% of their product from last year. And you kind of, I mean, even if you made it less from like a, a farmer's perspective, but just a little more of like, there is no waste. Anyone, I think, anyone that has a recycle program in their city is going to care about that. Right. It seems like we have a lot of ways that we talk about sustainability in the co- in like the coffee industry, but we talk about it from like the two ends. We talk about it from the consumer end where we're talking about, you know, paper cups, the like straws, the things that we all use and dispose of. And then we talk about it a little bit from like the farmer perspective about climate change. But we don't talk about kind of that middle ground. And I think that that idea of like zero waste, like you wouldn't buy like another, I don't know, vacuum cleaner. I don't know why that's the first example that came up but like you wouldn't buy another vacuum cleaner unless like you use the one that you had and you repaired it or like you took care of it and then it was no longer usable um you would use everything that you had before you bought a new of something right and i mean i wouldn't even say like 
I think I like the vacuum analogy. Don't get me wrong. Cause I definitely worked on my vacuum not too long ago, but, um, I think it's less of, of cause vacuum sounds like something that you can't use, but more, uh, like cell phones, right. I think. Yeah, that's the good one. Cause it's like every year you're not buying a new Apple iPhone or whatever that comes out. That's just ridiculous. One who can afford that, but two, like what was wrong with your phone again? <laughs> right. Right. Like, and how can you make do with the thing that you have treating it as something different? Like it might not be the same thing it was last year. It might be different. So how do we adapt to that? Especially with something like coffee, which is so malleable, like you're a roaster, like you were changing that coffee. So it's going to be different. And you have this, you have the skill set to change that coffee based on what it's presenting to you. Right. Right. Is there anything else you want people to know about you or about past crop coffee that we didn't cover? Um, no, just, I want people to be more inclined to buy past crop. That's all I got. I think they will be after hearing this conversation. So thank you for taking time to chat with me. It's always a pleasure. It's always a delight. And I have so much fun talking to you. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks, everyone. That was Bailey Enberg. You can learn more about She's the Roaster, which is an organization that promotes and encourages self-identifying women in the coffee industry to become professional coffee roasters by going to she'stheroaster.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at BossBaristaPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week.